Praise the Lord. We, uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not going to waste any time this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. And my focus this morning is on verses 14 to 16, but it's really the entire chapter 2 that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And as we're singing these songs, it's so... How can I say this? It's so almost comfortable. It feels good. It is good. It's right. Because what we're doing is we're celebrating and we're singing about what God has done. And we can read about what God has done in chapter 2 in the first 10 verses. See, the greatest wall that ever existed in all of the universe was a wall that existed called sin between you and God. And for some of you, that wall still exists if you haven't made Him your Lord and Savior by submitting to His Lordship and asking Him to forgive you of your sins as your Savior. That's the greatest wall, and Jesus broke that down. And we're saying all about that, and Paul spends the first ten verses verses in chapter 2 talking about this, that there was this separation between us and God. And in verse 4, he says something amazing. He says, but God, if you have your Bible open, if you do, if you don't, I'm sorry, you're going to miss out. But, But God, all that was going on, but God, and what he did is he made us alive. We were, we were, we were condemned. We were enslaved. We were, and it's all gone. God changed that to Jesus Christ and he brought us to himself. He broke down that wall. But what we're going to look at today is that it's so easy to sing about that part of it. But we never sing about, well, I guess we don't really have songs. We kind of do. We love to sing about unity and being a family. and all. We have, we have songs. But... It gets a little harder when we get to the next part because in verse 11 on to verse 18, actually to the end of the chapter, Paul talks about the wall that exists between people that Christ tore down. The wall that exists between people and specifically the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, you don't have to go too far, I don't think, to discover that there are walls of hostility between people that divide people all around us. You don't have to go far. And unfortunately, conflict is one of the most ordinary spaces in which we live as human beings. Just look in the rearview mirror at the back seat of your car. And those handsome, growing up little young boys are those boys now. They're sitting in the back, and these innocent young men, they draw this imaginary line in that second row of the car. And then you hear this, this venomous word spit out with this tone. It says, don't cross that line. Don't touch me. Don't come on my side. We don't know about that. That's never happened, right, Cohen? It's never happened. He's shaking his head yes, because he wants to live in the truth. Amen. Praise God. You're honest. Dead! Preston touched me! He's pitching me! Stop it! We all know that. Lines are drawn in the back seat. You don't have to go far. See, the thing is, the reality is, if we're being honest here, humans need boundaries. We're talking boundaries, not walls. Boundaries. 
We need physical boundaries. We need personal boundaries. We need emotional boundaries. We need family boundaries. We need boundaries between work and rest. And we need all sorts of other boundaries as well. But in this sinful and broken world that we live in, healthy boundaries often become hostile walls. You know because you put them up. Who, me? Yeah, you. Yeah, me. We put them up. We have boundaries and we should have them. But it's such a fine line sometimes before they come hostile walls. And walls are a way of keeping other people out. Physically, personally, emotionally, and, and various other ways. Putting up a wall might mean shutting down. It might mean refusing to listen. It might mean moving away. It might be turning off or going home. And sadly, these walls are often necessary. I'm not denying that. See, we need to put up walls when other people transgress our boundaries. When others overwhelm us and we lose control. Who, me? I've never done that. Yeah, yeah you have. <laughs> we have to put up a wall to stop them doing it again. But sometimes we put up walls for other reasons. Sometimes we put up walls as an overreaction because we didn't have good boundaries to begin with in the first place. Sometimes we put up walls simply out of fear. We're insecure and we're afraid that our boundaries might be transgressed. And I won't go on a tangent and don't misunderstand me, but boy, did COVID reveal that. I still, man, it's still so demonic how Satan used that. We've, you've heard us say that before, and he's still got his fingers in it. Sometimes we feel the need that we need to keep people out just in case. And we even use our walls as a weapon, defining ourselves over and against other people. And so we use harsh words and put-downs and and even violence sometimes. See, there are also literal, physical walls. We see them throughout our world. We see them around hmm, wealthy people who want security. They're tangible walls. But they act as symbols and expression of the relational walls where there's no trust and you don't want to get hurt or you don't want to get mugged or you don't want to get robbed or whatever it is. Walls remind us that there is something wrong in our world and in our relationships. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting we don't need boundaries or there isn't a place for walls. But I'm speaking, just follow along as we go. They remind us there's a problem. And in Ephesians 2, chapter 14 and 16, in your Bibles, Paul speaks about a wall. A wall that was broken down, and perhaps at the end you'll see needs to be broken down. He says, For Christ Himself is our peace. He made both one and broke down the dividing wall of separation. The hostility, having made the law of the commandments in decrees null and void in his flesh. He did this to form the two, 
And the two he's talking about, if you read the context, is the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews and the non-Jews. He did this to form the two in himself into one new humanity, so making peace and to reconcile both in one body to God through the cross, having killed the hostility by it. Christ himself, Paul says, is our peace. He broke down a wall. And which wall is Paul even talking about? And to start with, Paul seems, I think, to be talking about a literal, physical wall. But as he goes on, we see that this physical wall is only a symbol of something more significant, I think. It's a wall of hostility involving God's people. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles. Christ, who is our peace, has broken down this wall. And Paul shows us that this wall-breaking matters for every single one of us. See, at this point in Ephesians, Paul's talking about the hostility again between those Jews and Gentiles. God's ancient people Israel versus all other nations. And in verse 11 through 13, you can read about that. When Paul says that Christ himself is our peace and that Christ made both one, He's talking about this particular issue. The word both is referring to Jewish people and Gentiles. Christ has achieved peace between these two groups and made them one. And how has he done it? How has he done it? This is where the question of the wall comes in. Christ tore down the wall of separation, the hostility, Paul says. And to understand where this wall came from, we need to go back to the Old Testament. In the law, we can read about how God gave His people Israel good and proper boundaries. Boundaries, and what they did, these boundaries, they defined God's people, the Israelites, as His special people. These boundaries were part of Israel's holiness. They really were. And God wanted Israel to be a special people who were separate from all other nations for the sake, what sake? For the sake of their special relationship to Him. That's why. In Leviticus chapter 20 and verses 22 to 26, you can read a little bit there. But I'm going to read verse 26. Because God says to His people, You shall be holy to Me. By the way, holy means that you are, it has to do with consecration as well, but you're set apart, you're unique, you're one of a kind people to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. That was God. This is about Israel's holiness boundaries given to them by God. And the boundaries involved various laws, ranging from moral commandments to regulations about food and ceremonial laws. And the boundaries were there to mark them out as holy. See, this wasn't just for their own sake. It was for the sake of God's purposes in the world and His glory. 
In fact, Israel's special holiness was meant to lead to be a blessing for the entire world. And you can read about that in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. They were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And they would show forth God's glory to other nations and point them to God, the one true God. Here's the thing. By the time Jesus came, many of Israel's holiness boundaries had become hostile walls. That's what they became. In fact, there was a physical wall that symbolized that hostility. You see, in the temple, there are different parts of the temple where different people could go. In fact, there's a place called the Holy of Holies, and there is a separation. And we sang about how it's broken, and God broke that, where we have access to Him. But only the high priest could go once a year behind there and make that sacrifice, atoning sacrifice, in the Holy of Holies in God's very presence. One man, once a year, that was it. Jewish man. Then there were this area where other priests and Levites were, and then all Gentile men. And then after that, the Gentile women. And then after that, everybody else. But it would be like they were outside by 112 and we're having service here. That's what it was like. There were these separations of all these people. That's what it came to. Yes, God had set some of that up because of His holiness. And there was a reason for that to point how holy, how how perfect God was and how high His standard was. But the Israelites, they put up this railed barrier in the temple in Jerusalem. And it separated the court of the Gentiles, an outer area where Gentiles were allowed to go from all the other holier areas, where only Jewish people could go. That's it. If you're a Gentile, you can only go so far. You can only go like 15 feet from 112, and you can't get closer to the sanctuary at New Hope Chapel. You're done. Can you imagine if we did church that way? If we had to, wow, anyway, that would just be, yeah. There is evidence of this in archaeological ruins. So this isn't just something made up. That this was a a decree that was made. That if anybody even goes there and they cross, basically this this is what it was. It was basically saying that if you went there, no foreigner is to enter within the balustrade and forecourt around the sacred precinct. Whoever is caught will himself be responsible for his consequent death. It's brutal. I think that's a wall of hostility. A wall of separation. And again, it's an example of a decree. It's a formal communal decision aiming to interpret the law of Moses for the present day situation. And what situation was that? It was a situation of Roman occupation where the Jewish people felt they were in danger of being overrun by Gentiles. The decree is probably based in Numbers 1, where, which prohibits foreigners to come into the holy place in God's tent on pain of death. So the decree said that any Gentiles who went past could be killed by the Jewish people. And the Romans allowed the Jewish people to have this decree. And possibly the Romans even allowed them to enforce it. In Acts chapter 21, we read about some Jewish people who wrongly, by the way, presumed that Paul himself had brought Gentiles past this barrier and stirred up a mob to get him killed. 
How dare you, Paul, bring Gentile people into that area? They wrongly assume that. Do you, think, do you see the walls of hostility here? Not good. This was a literal, literal barrier in the temple. But it paint, pointed to a greater wall of hostility. The, true, the Jewish people and the Jews, they rightly understood that they were God's holy people. They knew that. And therefore, they knew that they needed to be separate from the Gentiles. But to enforce their holiness in their situation, they felt they needed to kill. I think that's hostile. I repeat myself again. How could there be any hope of peace in this kind of a situation? Good luck, if I could put it that way. This is the issue that Paul is talking about here. For those Jewish people and those Gentiles who had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and who had trusted in Christ's death on the cross for them, peace could and did come. Christ brought peace by destroying the very reason that the wall was there in the first place. Here's what Paul says. That the way that Christ broke down the hostility was by making the law of the commandments and decrees null and void. Nothing. Worthless. Meaningless. No power. Throw it out. Erase it. Burn it. Bleach it out. Whatever you got to do. It's not there. That's what Jesus did. It was, and again, this, the, the, the law of the commandments is talking about a particular way that the law of Moses was understood and used by Jewish people. It was seen as a set of commandments that was interpreted and expressed in these kinds of hostile decrees. But Paul says, that Christ has made this way of interpreting the law null and void. So what was the way that Christ achieved this peace? Paul says in our, in our scripture text that it is in his flesh. In other words, it's through the cross. The cross is the way that, that Christ has killed the hostility. We can see what this means and, and, and how this works by looking at other things that Paul says in Ephesians about Christ's death on the cross. First, Christ's death on the cross has dealt with our sin and our judgment before God in chapter 1, verse 7. Both Jews and Gentile people are sinners equally. A point that Paul made a few verses earlier in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. If Israel had kept the law they would indeed have been a holy and distinct people. Blessed by God and respected by the nations. However, however, Israel sinned against God and God had judged them by sending the nations against them. And so distinctiveness that they had had turned into hostility. But Christ, who died on the cross for their sins, He rescued Israel and the nations, the Gentiles, from sin and from God's judgment. See, in Christ, Israel and the nations, they both need to see themselves as forgiven sinners, not as hostile enemies. And because of this, Christ's death, in fact, has made believers holy. Believers 
that are Jewish and believers that are non-Jewish. See, Paul addresses the Gentile readers in Ephesians. He calls them the holy ones, those who are also believers in Christ Jesus. In the first verse of his epistle, he reminds them in verse 4 to be holy and blameless in his presence, something the Jewish people were to be. Because of Christ's death for our sins, all believers can be called in verse 19 in chapter 2, fellow citizens of the holy ones. They're brought in to that same family of holy ones. And they're part, in verse 21, of a holy temple. So Christ's death means that both Jews and Gentile believers are holy. And if that's true, there's no need for hostile decrees, walls, to guard Israel's holiness. The reason that Christ broke down that wall was to form the two people, the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one. And he made a new humanity. And so he made peace and he reconciled both in one body, Paul says, to God. Not two bodies, one body to God. And he still says they're both. They're distinct, but they're one. They're still in the body of God, one body. And this is where they're united. And this, this, this new uh, humanity... God achieves his plan to bless the nations through Israel. And Paul wants his readers to grasp and to really understand this wonderful unity between these two warring groups that hated each other. I mean, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they call Gentiles dogs. They consider Gentiles to be fuel for hellfire. You can read it. You can look it up. You can do a Google search. You'll find it. I promise you. Even Google will be, will be truthful about that. Okay, anyway. But Paul wants readers to understand that. In fact, it's a key part of God's plan to sum all things up in Christ in verse 10 in chapter 1 of Ephesians, where he brings it all together in Christ. Now, as we move along and as we get closer to the end this morning in communion, it's possible to take the idea of unity in the wrong direction. Just because the wall has been broken down between us and God and us and each other because of what Christ did, doesn't mean that all boundaries have been dissolved. The one new humanity still consists of both Jews and Gentiles. And so unity does not mean uniformity. Equality does not mean homogeneity. The killing of hostility doesn't mean the erasure of identities. But don't make your identity a wall. Don't get me going. Okay, take a breath, Bob. Zip your lips. The unity Paul is talking about doesn't involve blurring boundaries or making everybody precisely the same in every way. He's talking about peace and reconciliation. You're never going to be me. I'm never going to like... Hunting like Ben and Dave do as much as they do. And I've never even done it. Maybe I will if I did. I don't know. Um, You're not going to love the things. We're going to be, we're different. We have different cultures. We have different likes. We have different political views. But we can still be reconciled and at peace because of what Jesus did in knocking down the wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace and reconciliation. 
And Christ achieved that by His death on the cross. That's why we partake in communion at the Lord's table. It's because of this reconciliation between us and God that peace and reconciliation with one another can happen. We're about to partake of the bread and cup at the Lord's table. We call it communion, don't we? And it's made up of two words. Common and union. I know we know that, but we don't think about that. Common and union. Oh, there's plenty of things that are distinct about you and me and you and you and you and you and all the others. But we have a common union, and that common union is Christ. And that union comes because a wall has been broken down by Christ who died on the cross, and he says, the law can't condemn you. The law can't separate you anymore. You're brought all together in one. You're all baptized in one body in in, in me. You're, You're brought together. All one body, the two groups. You're still you, but yet you're new, and you're one because you're together. And it should be something that, We can think about a lot because Jesus prayed about that in John chapter 17. That was a prayer he had because he knew what wall he would be breaking down. And he makes that prayer because he knows that we have a tendency to build walls. Oh, man. And it's so easy to do. Before we eat and drink, as instructed by Christ at the Last Supper with his disciples, and the Apostle Paul in Scripture. We need to reflect upon and examine our hearts and lives regarding the very wall, or maybe there are multiple walls that Christ broke down in our lives. We are awesome construction project managers, each one of us, if you didn't know that. In fact, Preston, can you get me my my hand truck? We, we are amazing at building things, and especially building walls. There's no lack of the material that we can use. It's, it's, it's endless, actually, throughout our lifetime, over and over again. It can almost never be exhausted. As hard as we try, we can always find more material. Here's my gopher. See, this has been used many times by many people in this church. It's a hand truck, right? But we're so good. We're, you know what? We, we put up walls when we're afraid of people, as I mentioned, transgressing our boundaries. In this sinful and broken world, we sometimes really do need walls to protect ourselves, don't we? I'm not denying that to a certain degree. Sometimes our fear is legitimate. But sometimes the fear is not legitimate. I would say most of the time. And sometimes those walls need to be broken down so that we can truly love others. Church, New Hope Chapel, listen. Jesus, as Paul said, has abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, another translation says. How dare we write up our own laws and decrees in the walls that we erect. We must avoid what He came to destroy. And unfortunately, we make something of our identity. And then we construct rules that support that identity. And when it's outside of Christ, we got a problem. 
As Christians, we ourselves can set up walls when we fear all kinds of things. It comes so easy. It comes so naturally for many of us to build up what God has torn down completely. So let's close with a visual of, of that. This, and look at this in our own lives. You're wondering, I'm sure, the whole service, what's going on here. Right? It's very simple. You know what they are? And I have, and I, and I have many thanks to give to, to Miss Emily Lepard, the box store and stasher. You know what these are? These are Chiquita brick boxes. That's what I'm calling them. Because it sounds good. But we're so good because these are actually symbolic of all the bricks that we use in our lives to build up walls around us. And we have this hand truck, and then we have, I don't have a trowel with me, but we, we mix up a mortar. And that mortar is made up of something called pride and self. And it's gooey, and it's sticky, and when it gets a hold, it's hard. And then we come over, and we find bricks and stones, and we find a reason, and we get the hand truck, and we come over, and we come to our place where we feel comfortable, and all around our lives, and we find every reason, and of course, we already have a foundation. Pride, selfishness, deceit, all that, and we start putting down the bricks of the wall all around us. And we start saying, well, no, you know what? I'm not as bad as somebody else. They're more sinful than me, so I better protect myself. You know, I'm supposed to be holy. I don't want to be contaminated. There goes another brick. I can't associate with that person. You're white? Oh, man, I'm black. You're black? I'm white. Let me put another brick down. Ooh. Wait a minute. You're rich and you love to flaunt it? I got nothing and I'm struggling. Oh, man, I, I, I can't associate with you. And, and we just, we keeps, it keeps going and going. You're a Democrat? Wait, let me get some more bricks. Wait, 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 wait. Let me get some more bricks. Hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. I got more bricks. I can, I can keep going. Wait, you're a Democrat? You're a Republican? Wait, but I'm an independent. Wait, you but wait, you did that? You actually Oh my goodness, I've never even thought about sinning that way. I can't believe you said that to me. You offended me. That's so hurtful. I mean, you should be ashamed that you even said that to me as a Christian. And the wall goes up. And then it comes back to us. And we put up a wall and we say, oh, I'm ashamed for what I said. And we box ourselves in. And the reasons keep coming and coming and the excuses. And we hide ourselves and we don't think we're good enough. And somebody says other things about it. And we keep getting the bricks. And we keep getting the bricks. And we don't stop. We do this our whole lives. I know some of you think that this is crazy and it's not defining you. And that's okay if that falls. And we keep building. We keep building. Wait a minute. You, how long have you been a Christian? Uh, you, you don't know much. How long? Oh, you know way too much. You're so experienced that I feel so inadequate. And like, I don't know anything about, about Christianity. I can't be around you. Oh, you're a scholar. Oh, 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 you're Pastor Bob? Well, I, I'm... 
Wait, you're Pastor Dan? <laughs> I mean, we have all kinds of excuses, and we keep building the wall, and we keep, and no, we keep building it. Well, you know, I'm not going to stop. I'll pick up the bricks, and I'll keep going, because you know what? That's what we do. We keep doing that, what Christ has tore down. We find every stick and reason we can to keep putting up that wall higher and higher and higher, and we feel safe. At least we think we're safe, and we drown people out. We don't listen to them. And you know what happens? We end up putting up a wall around us that looks just like it did in the temple where, here we go, here, that guy up there, he's holy, or I'm holy. Oh, that person over there, no. That's it. So we're in the same room. We're still the body of Christ. We're worshiping the same God. But look it, I can't even see you. I can hardly hear you. Hallelujah, you can see my hands worshiping God. That's good enough. You don't have to, and I have to scream louder. And things get distorted. And I hide behind here and we just keep going and going and going. Here's the question, and I'm staying back here because it's comfortable. And I can just stare at my notes. Listen, in all seriousness, you have communion cups in front of you. What walls might you have put up against others that Christ has already torn down? Why are you rebuilding them? Are all of these walls really just healthy boundaries? Or do you have some hostile and illegitimate walls? Only you know that. You know how you take care of this? You remember what Jesus did. You stay focused on the cross that I know you can still see. If you keep your eyes on the cross, it's brick by brick that the walls start to come down in your life. You might have to name one brick. It might be one thing in your life. Somebody hurt you and wronged you, you forgive them and one brick comes down. And now you can actually see them. Because see, this limits our interaction. It stops us from engaging. And again, boy, has COVID put a wrench in all that. And again, necessarily to a large degree, but unnecessarily to an even larger degree at this point. Oh, I was wishing Max and Monty were here. Because I would want them to come and just wreck this wall. Where are they? Oh, they got to come. They got to come. Because they're going to demonstrate really what Christ did a long time ago. And then we bring it up. And, 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 and again, to break through the mortar of our pride and our selfishness and all the stuff I listed, all our distinctives, all our distinctions, Christ broke it all. We're supposed to be one. Oh, here we go. What? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Knock it down. Yes. Break it down. Knock it that way. Knock it down. Knock it down. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Thank you. And you know what? There's a, there's a, there's, you can stay right here for one second. There's a great picture here. Because... When we start building up walls, it's a lot easier to do with brothers and sisters than on your own to take it down. To be reminded and to have their help and their support to say, that's been crushed. It's been removed. Let's not build it up. And if you have, let's tear it back down. She wants to stay on the wall, in the wall. That's all right. I love it. I love it. So again, 
Thank you, guys. You can go back because we're going to have communion, all right? You can go with the box. You want a brick? You're not supposed to build walls. Don't build walls. No, leave it here. Don't build walls. Okay. All right, you can have it then. We're having fun, and we're two minutes from wrapping it up. We're having fun. And you're not going to forget that, are you? But listen, the truth is, again, I come back to the question I asked you from behind that wall. What, mall, what walls might you have put up against others? And are these walls really just healthy boundaries, or do you have some hostile and illegitimate walls? Only you know. Only you know. See, the walls come when we forget the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to keep coming back to the cross of Christ. Which, where's my communion cup? Oh, there it is. Under the rubble. Because it's in his death that the walls are broken down. And so I'll ask you to take your cup and you'd flip that top film and access the wafer. Amen. Does everybody have a cup that wishes to have a cup? I think there's plenty to go around, so amen. You know, Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, he said when he was with the disciples that he said, take and eat. This, is, this bread is my body given for you. And he said that we should drink of the cup because it's the cup of the new covenant, of his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And then Paul says in chapter 11 of his epistle to the Corinthians that, that we need to do this and that he passed on what he received from the Lord, that we do this, that as often as we do it, we proclaim the Lord's death. We proclaim that Jesus is the wall breaker. Stop building walls. Boundaries are fine. Stop building walls. Has everybody got it? Comfort, you need some help there? Chima can help you. He got it. We'll get there. Amen. She's laughing. She has long fingernails and she can't even open it. Amen. Amen. I don't want to go without you being ready. That's a tricky one. We'll get another one. I'm going to move on. They're going to get it. They're going to get it. We'll partake. Amen. She's got it. Let's bow our heads. Lord, in all soberness and in all seriousness, Lord, we ask you to help us to examine our heart. Lord, if there be any walls that are there illegitimately or just out of hostility and anger and fear, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in the truth that you have torn that wall down. Lord, help us to be kingdom builders, not wall builders. Help us to be wall destroyers because that's what you did, and help us to be heralds of peace, which speaks of the fact that you have made the two, Gentiles and Jews and all believers, one. We thank you, Lord, for your great salvation, for coming for us and for shedding your blood that our sins might be forgiven. And so we celebrate at your table that you're the wall breaker and you've made us an amazing family. Let's eat the bread together. 
And let's drink the cup. We just ate and drank together. And eating and drinking together is such a great way to, to connect, to get to know each other. And it's a powerful way, and it's a great place at the table to put your guard down and to let walls be broken. In other words, fellowship. Be together. Celebrate what you have in common. And that is salvation through Christ and Christ alone, for there is no other way to be saved. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And uh, walk in that freedom that you've been given with Christ. Amen?